Welcome to the Follow the Yogi podcast. I'm your host, Vicki Santana, a recovering people-pleasing, type A personality turned sacred rebel. Join me each week for my viewpoint on yoga concepts through the eyes of this 35-year practitioner, yoga teacher, yoga mom, and saucy rebel. This is where I share my knowledge and my journey of yoga to help you through your yogic path. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now let's jump into your weekly dose of Follow the Yogi. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Hi, everybody. And as you can see by the title of this podcast, it's about lying, but not quite what you might think. If you know me, you know that lying is one of those things that I absolutely detest. I don't think there's any room for it. Actually, I should be clear. I don't like being lied to. Clearly, it's not something that I use in my life, but being lied to has this certain level of betrayal for me that really just makes me so reactionary, so hurt. And I wanted to start investigating why. One of the things in our practice that I teach is that when we react to something and usually overreact to something, there might be some truth to it inside of ourselves. It might be a trigger for a wound of long ago. Um, and in this one, it's two parts, but I'm going to focus on it's part of me. Methinks thou protests too much. And I notice this in people when I talk with them, when the simplest of things come up, they really get, you know, riled up. And I started thinking maybe one of the reasons that being lied to feels so intense is because it's something that I'm doing to myself on a daily basis. Of course, I'm doing it unconsciously. Definitely was doing it more to myself before my yogic practice. And as my practice has involved, in other words, as I've gotten or gone inward more and more and learned from the teachings and applied the teachings, I've begun to found that this is true. The reason that being lied to is so hurtful is because it's something that we're doing to ourselves on a daily basis, 365, 24 seven. And that intense reaction from the outside world events is kind of acting as a trigger or a flag saying, Hey, this is something that's inside of you and you actually need to pay attention to it. So when I said, you're a liar, I wasn't trying to be mean or harsh. I was actually just trying to get your attention. So here's the concept. We lie to ourselves and you say, okay, what's the big deal about that? Well, we tell ourselves these little things that we believe them to be truth when in fact they're not. Let's take the concept of no pain, no gain. I was raised in the eighties and that concept was around a lot. If it didn't hurt, you weren't making progress. If it didn't hurt, you weren't doing enough. 
If it doesn't hurt and if it's not difficult, it's not worth doing. Imagine how much of a redirect I had to do in my life once I started taking on the yogic practice, where the first, the very first guideline is non-harming. Now, many of us take that concept of non-harming and we apply it to other people, but actually it is something that we need to apply to ourselves first and foremost at all the three levels of ourselves, four levels really, mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Here's the other rub. These mantras that we tell ourselves, these bandwagons that we get on board with, because they make sense at first, don't just get applied to that one vein that we're applying it to. Let's say we picked up no pain, no gain, and we applied it to our workouts. What happens is, is the way we do one thing is the way we do everything. And now no pain, no gain is going to be applied to a lot of different facets of our lives. So how about our relationships? I have to be loving this person so much. This has to be absolute, complete, once in a lifetime love. If it wasn't, it wouldn't hurt so much. It wouldn't hurt so much to be away from this person. It wouldn't hurt so much when this person insults me or disrespects me. I can't live without this person. And it leads me to my next one where hurting more means I care more, means I love more, means I'm a better person or a better friend or a better wife or a better parent. See how no pain, no gain turned into hurting more must mean I care more. How about I'm not flexible? How about I'm stupid? We drop a pencil and somewhere along in life, being clumsy or really just not present, we've translated into being stupid. And I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. Okay, maybe we're a little clumsy. And then if you go down another layer, maybe we were a little clumsy in that moment because we weren't paying attention to what we were doing. But honestly, it has nothing to do with our IQ. It has nothing to do with our intelligence. And yet, these mantras that we're telling ourselves on a daily basis are seeping into us. We feel more comfortable making fun of ourselves. Maybe we have the mindset that it's better to make fun of ourselves and beat somebody to the punch than having to actually endure someone making fun of us. The problem with that is, number one, we have an expectation that we are less than right from the get-go. And in our desire to protect ourselves, We'd rather hurt ourselves, in this case, with words and beat them to the punch than actually possibly think that that was just an untruth. There was no need. There was no reason. There was no value. There was no truth in making fun of ourselves. So here's a little story, and it kind of brings into focus where these things come from 
and how it actually infiltrates our lives, creates a foggy perception of ourselves and the outside world, and then it works at how we interact with other people. So, there once was a monk, and he was on his way back to temple. The sun was coming down, it was getting dark, and the rules were that he needed to be in the temple by sundown. No exceptions or else he would be locked out. So he's walking down this dusty, rocky road, actually enjoying the evening. It was cool. The road was lined with thick trees and forests. And he found himself just getting lost in the moment and listening to one footstep after another, after another, using it as a walking meditation. Then he looked up ahead at the bridge that he needed to cross over to make it to the temple. And when he looked, he squinted his eyes so he could see a lot better. The sun was going down so there was not as much light. And he saw a shape on the bridge and it looked like the letter S. It was dark, it was black. And then immediately his mind went to snake. Now he had a phobia of snakes. He was deathly afraid of them as a child. He was bitten by one and almost died. So for him, the reaction to what now he perceived to be a snake was a visceral reaction for him. It was a life and death situation in the past. So now his brain is reacting to the possibility of that being a snake, actually in his mind's eye to the certainty that it was a snake. And his breath began to shallow. He was hesitant to move forward. Uh, he could feel it in his stomach where he it was feeling like it was tightening up and his life was in jeopardy. Between him and the temple was his biggest fear. So he continued to walk forward. He didn't let it stop him, but it definitely slowed him down. So now he was stressed. He was afraid that he wasn't going to make it to the temple in time to be able to have a nice warm bed to sleep in. But he was more afraid of that snake that was in front of him, but he kept moving forward. But he also kept telling himself how much in danger he was, how terrified he was, how fearful he was of possibly not surviving and ever making it to the temple, whether today or tomorrow. And then as he inched closer to the shape on the bridge, he realized that it wasn't a snake at all, but instead it was a black rope that someone had dropped along their travels. When the adrenaline left his body, he felt completely exhausted but then he also began to think and he chuckled to himself. He picked up the rope and he wrapped it around his wrist, wore that for many, many years as a reminder to this. The mind is going to look at life through the echoes of the past. It'll do everything in its power to convince us that what we're seeing through the veils, through the lens of the past is absolute truth absolutely real and it will also force the body to react chemically to bring us back into that scenario 
In essence, the mind, which is driven by the ego, will lie to us to make things true. It will lie to us to close off that little gap in the circle, to solve the arithmetic problem of our lives, and it'll fill the gap. And what we don't realize is it will fill that gap, not with truth, not with something that works best for us, but actually something that represents us from the past and more likely than not, something that does not serve us in this present moment. The monk made it to his temple on time, completely exhausted, along with the long walk and now all of that adrenaline that was pumping through his body and the thought that this would be his last day on earth. He was completely exhausted, you know, and he took away another thought to this event. He wasted an incredible amount of energy, focus, peace of mind for something that didn't even exist. It wasn't even that it could have existed. It was that it absolutely did not exist. But because all he could see was the fear of the past, the possibility of his life ending because that had happened before. There was no space in the mind to think of other possibilities. Maybe it isn't a snake. Maybe I'm seeing things. But the grip of the past was so intense. All he could see was the very thing that he was most fearful of. And it left him exhausted. I love this story because it highlights the five clashes, the five obstacles to liberation. In the story with the monk, he experienced all of these things. The first one, incorrect knowledge. He used a memory from the past to assume that there was a snake and a life-threatening event in front of him. The ego, where he thought himself to be uh, all-knowing. The desire to get to the temple. Now there was something in the way of him getting to where he needed to go to hatred for the snake and clinging to physical life let me paint it out in a different uh, mental image so close your eyes unless you're driving and i want you to imagine a fertile field as far as the eye can see it's lush and it's green and it's teeming with life. And as far as you can see, it's there. This green fertile field is the foundation to all of our suffering. Ignorance. Now, ignorance seems like a harsh word, but it really isn't. It's meant to capture our attention. It's actually the direct translation of the word, the first klesha. And you can think of it as incorrect knowledge, lack of awareness. We don't know who we really are. We think we're only this physical form. It's also when we mistake opinion, memories as truth. Remember, truth isn't necessarily truthfulness. Truth is truth. It comes from a fountain of knowledge from long ago. And the thing about truth is it doesn't change. 
It doesn't matter what goes on in our life. It doesn't matter how much we try to rationalize it or justify it. When something is true, it just is true. Then atop of this fertile field, picture a beautiful mansion, huge, with all of the finest of appointments, an unlimited number of rooms. This mansion represents the ego. All of the different caverns of the mind, with all of the memories that we have, and it is vast, and like I said, unlimited. Now, inside of this mansion live three very lonely and sad occupants. The first one is our attachment to past pleasure, and this is a good one. It keeps us in that roller coaster of suffering, keeps us strapped into it. Let's say we experience something which is normal. We're mortals. We're going to experience this world through our senses. We experience pleasure, we enjoy it, and then we move on with our life. If that's all that happens, no harm, no foul. But what tends to happen is we experience something pleasurable and we attach to it. The rub doesn't happen because we had a pleasurable experience. The rub happens because we've attached ourselves to it and we want to relive that experience again at the same level of intensity with the exact same variables in place and we attach ourselves to it. We might even find ourselves running back and wanting to experience it the same way with the same level of intensity or pleasure. That might be one of the reasons why we stay in jobs, relationships, longer than we should. We have this wonderful honeymoon period where all of our hopes and dreams are tied up around it. Everything is perfect. And then stuff starts changing and shifting as it will always do in this realm, by the way. Anytime we attach anything that has to do with ourselves and our happiness and our expectations to anything in this physical realm, the mind is included in the physical realm as is the body, we are setting ourselves up for struggle, strife, and suffering. That's a side point. But we stay in these jobs, relationships, circumstances longer than we should, even though we have this inkling, or maybe we just have this really obvious knowledge that it's not working for us, but we stay with it. Sometimes we don't even understand why. One of the reasons is because we are attached to that initial hit of pleasure. So if that doesn't make sense, Let's say someone who is addicted to heroin and they take the first hit and the first hit is the best from what I hear, kind of like the first cut is the deepest, same concept here. Um, and they keep on using in the hopes of returning to that initial hit. We do the same thing in our lives when we attach to pleasure. The second occupant in the mansion is aversion to past pain. Now, remember, not everything in the mind is negative. Not everything. Some of the things that are in the mind, we absolutely need it for survival. I usually use the example of as a child putting our hands on a hot stove. <laughs> we'll only do it once. 
We got guided by our parents to don't touch it, don't touch it, it's hot. And some of us, me included, wanted to see what my parents' definition of hot was. So of course I laid my hand on the burner only to find out, holy Toledo, it was hot. Well, true to form, I only did that once. But now whenever I feel heat on my hand, I actually don't even have to feel very much. My mind has taken care of that for me. When I start feeling myself uh, getting hotter or feeling something hot, I instinctively pull away. Now that's survival. That's beneficial. That helps us. Okay. But how about in other situations? Let's say we got our heart broken and let's say it was our first love from when we were in our teens and we just got devastated without even knowing that devastation, the way we reacted to it and what we were saying to ourselves about it was setting us up for all of our other romantic relationships. And here's the rub. We were setting ourselves for all of our relationships. So if we told ourselves something to the effect of, I'm never going to love that way again. I'm never going to be that vulnerable again. I'm never going to have or allow anyone to have that much access to my heart again. We pretty much have set ourselves up for the rest of our life, for all of our relationships until such time something proves us otherwise. Remember the way we do one thing gets applied to everything. And then the last one is clinging to physical life or fear of death. Now it makes sense to us that we're fearful of death, but actually it's something that's going to happen. So why be fearful of it? The problem with being fearful of death is that we're actually fearful of living our life to our fullest potential. We don't want to go beyond our comfort zone for fear of what if what we do will bring our demise and then bringing that fear of death back into the equation. I got to tell you, anytime we do anything out of fear, not as a response to danger, because danger happens in the moment. Anytime we do something um, because of fear, we are literally going away from something. And if we're going away from something, we're not going towards something. Fear is a reaction uh, that literally pulls us away from our highest good, from our life purpose. Here's another example. It almost makes sense to be fearful of making a mistake, but if we really start looking at these things, because these are things that we're telling ourselves, these are things that culture has been telling us for our lifetime. If we tell ourselves being fearful of making a mistake is makes sense, then we're going to find ourselves not wanting to make mistakes. But in reality, if we're honest with ourselves, when we make a mistake, chances are we're going to learn something from that either a big lesson or a little lesson, but we will learn from that more than doing something that we perceive to be successful. But let's say that making a mistake and being scared of it actually makes sense. I'm not agreeing with that, but I'm, I'm going with it. The thing is, 
we're also fearful of living to our fullest potential. Think about that. We're scared of being all that we can be. I promise you, we're not scared of the dark. We are comfortable in the dark. It's our best friend. Uh, we say we don't like it, and yet we stay in it. We stay playing small. We're scared of stepping out into the light, of, of actually fulfilling our life's purpose, our life's potential. Um, because maybe if you're out there in the spotlight, maybe people are now going to expect more of you. Maybe they're going to be able to see the mask that you've had on, which honestly, that's also BS. But this is the lies that we tell ourselves. What if people don't like the quote unquote real me? I can't put myself out there and have them see that. These are the lies that we're telling ourselves that we're not good enough, that so-so is good enough, that a life of quiet desperation is good enough. We'll get on board later in life. But the problem is we think we have time, but we don't. Part of the reason I teach the way that I teach, part of the reason I'm doing this podcast is because there's actually a sense of urgency out there. I don't want people to wait until they're, you know, half a century old to finally tap into their potential and not really give a hoot of what other people think. I want people to be able to do that much earlier in life because that's the way we came into this world. But during our domestication as children, we got different messages. I am not throwing shade on anybody the way we were raised, well, everyone did the best that they could. And now that we're adults, now it's our responsibility to start asking the important questions on what's holding us back. What lies are we telling ourselves about ourselves, about our lives, about our environment, about who and what we are that is not allowing us to see ourselves in the light that we are in the divinity that we are and stopping us from moving forward on what would make our lives that much more fruitful, enjoyable, peaceful. I'll share a little bit about my childhood so you can get some perspective on where I'm coming from this. Nobody, nobody would have even bat an eyelash if I would have committed suicide when my mother drowned and I was 16. By that time, I had endured so much physical, sexual, and emotional abuse. No Lifetime movie would have been able to depict everything that occurred in my childhood up until that moment in time. And then throw on top of that, being orphaned at that time, that really important time of uh, a child's life, when they're bridging that gap between being a child and being a young adult. No one would have taken it away from me if I would have taken my own life. They would have completely understood. But there was something inside of me that kept saying, hold on, there's a higher purpose. And all that you've experienced right now, there was a reason for this. 
and you'll experience it later in life. But for right now, just hold on. And I used that past not to get me into an abyss, not to bring myself as a victim, not to just give up. I mean, I could have taken a lot of different routes. I could have been a prostitute. I could have lost myself in drugs and found myself addicted to that. No one would have blamed me for being a victim. Poor Vicky. She had a horrible childhood and now she's orphaned at the age of 16. No one would have said, or should I say everyone would have understood, but honestly, where would that have left me? In an abyss. And I still had to crawl myself out of that hole because everything that I learned became a blueprint for my adult life. I'm not going to say that there weren't challenges getting out of that hole. I feel like a billy goat climbing on the edge of a mountain for most of my life. But I honestly refused to take what was given to me and accept that as truth. That may have been my mother's truth, but I didn't want to adopt it and make it my own. And so a 35-year odyssey with the practice of yoga has brought me to this particular space. And I want to share the practice with everyone. It doesn't matter how great your life has been. It doesn't matter how rough your life has been. The other thing that I want us to walk away from is no one has uh, ownership of pain, struggle, strife, or suffering. We all experience this based on our point of reference. So just because someone didn't have as hard of a life as I did doesn't mean that whatever pain that they experience isn't valid, doesn't mean nearly as much. Um, That's the one thread that we all have as humans, suffering. So now it's your turn. What lies are you telling yourself to justify, rationalize, make life a little bit more comfortable so we don't have to get out of the dark. I truly believe that it's not the darkness that scares us the most. It's this light that's inside of us that we haven't seen, haven't felt, haven't really embraced. That's what scares us the most. Darkness Wow, we're good bedfellows there. We're in it day in and day out. Maybe we're walking uh, between the shadows and peeking our toe every once in a while out into the sunlight. But for the most part, darkness is our best friend because we know it. Better the devil you know than the devil you don't. But now I'm here to ask you, what lies are you telling yourself? What Are you accepting from yourself what justification, what rationalizations, what philosophies from your childhood are you actually taking as truth and possibly using them as limiting factors so we don't have to live this full, full life? Are you living life on your own terms for yourself? And I'm even saying this to parents, because I know a lot of times we put our kids' interests in front of our own. 
There's a balance to that. It cannot be just the kids all the time. Going back, what lies are you telling yourself? What signals and symbols are you ignoring that's keeping you in a situation that doesn't serve you? What's keeping you in that bad relationship? What fear is keeping you from having a good, healthy circle of friends? Why are you staying in that job that you know isn't working for you? I'm not saying jump ship right away. I'm saying, what can you do today to change your mindset, to take you in a direction that better serves you? So if you're in a job that doesn't work for you, I ain't saying leave your job and then you get a foreclosure on your home and your wife gets mad because now you're not bringing any money. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is face, realize the things, the lies that we're telling ourselves that keep us in bondage because the bondage that we're in, we're doing it to ourselves. Figure out the things that we're telling ourselves that are um, playing a role in us playing small that keep us in bondage. And then once you can face them, bring them out into the light. Once you can face them, then start working at mitigating them, at weakening them. Because we can't change what we don't see. If we accept the negative things, the lies that we're telling ourselves as truth, we'll never be able to go forward and reach our fullest potential. Now, I have a teacher training that's starting up March 1st at Evolution Yoga. We're going to speak to all of these things much, much deeper. I wish I had more time. There's just so much of this knowledge that I want to share with you all. And I'm dividing it into two parts. Part one is the philosophy, the meditation, and the breath work that goes with the practice to help you cultivate a very profound practice, internal practice. That is open to everyone. And if you find that you actually want to teach these things, once you've cultivated this practice, once you've cracked yourself open, once you've opened Pandora's box and noticed that there isn't as much to fear as one's thought, and you want to teach this to others, there's part two that follows right afterwards. Contact me. Um, I'll put a link below of my website. To, for more information about the teacher training. But if you are craving more of this information, if you're wanting to learn how to apply this in your life, if you want to walk out from the darkness into the light, join me on March 1st, Evolution Yoga, Coconut Creek, Florida. The link will be down below. Yogis, thank you for spending time with me. It is amazing to be able to share all of this knowledge from the Ascended Masters. With all my love, namaste. Namaste.